0: Hello, and welcome to the C21 Podcast. My name's Nico Franks. We hope you're safe and well, staying positive and testing negative. Today, we hear from Dan March, founder and managing partner of Dynamic Television, who tells us about the LA-based producer and distributor's efforts to reach a broad niche with sci-fi programming, and Thomas Bensky, CEO and founder of Pulse Films, which is looking beyond Hollywood as part of a push into non-English language content. (laughs) Dynamic Television is targeting what its founder and managing partner, Dan March, calls a broad niche, with its sci fi and horror programming, peppered with savvy non English language acquisitions like the Icelandic drama Trapped. I caught up with Dan to discuss the impact the rise in streaming is having on audience demand for the kind of horror and sci fi shows that Dynamic has been very active in since being founded in 2013.
1: What's fun about those genres is that they're true escapist opportunities for audiences, right? We we call them escapist genres. So it's fun because there's a lot of fantasy and there's a lot of science fiction. There's a lot of world building uh, and places that audiences can escape to from day to day. That said, especially under the sci-fi genre, it's a really broad niche, right? Which is a little bit of a contradiction. But within sci-fi, you can have you know horror, you can have supernatural fantasy, you know you you can have very fun, engaging, humorous uh, science fiction, which is what a uh, *Vagrant Queen*. Uh, did so well, and it was really fun. It has action, adventure, escapist mentality to it, and it really took people on a ride. And that can be a real opposite um, emotional experience than watching Creepshow, creep show, right, or something uh, that is more that is darker, that is scarier. But um, I think when we look at the the kind of marketplace as a whole, you know, we saw that audience, the sci-fi horror audience, always being somewhat underserved because you know broader networks don't tend to to think in terms of the, you know, satisfying that niche. We saw the migration from, uh, for audiences from linear to to digital. We saw this big uptick in sci-fi programming because it was finally an opportunity to satiate those audiences uh, that were basically underserved. And when you saw, you know, we were very active, obviously with uh, Z Nation, Winona Earp and Van Helsing, and and all those shows did really well for us. Um, And then you saw, some of the streaming platforms, especially Netflix, when they rolled out a lot of their originals, there was a lot of sci-fi and supernatural-themed programming. Um, and so that audience is very active on digital and uh, especially on digital. And I think the kind of opportunity for us now is some, as some of the linear channels uh, build out their digital services. There's some opportunities to get some of that sci-fi and horror content on those services where in the past they wouldn't have landed on the, the linear network. So I think... Um, the industry as a whole you know the 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 appetite for sci-fi and horror contests they continue to increase how the pandemic affected it it's kind of hard to say other than i think if there was fun escapist content people enjoyed that
0: and we're seeing a lot of niche SFod services um pop up and are you are you finding that they're they're actually being have been able to establish themselves in a lot of markets now are you are you optimistic about their future? Because it seems like whenever a new SPOD launches now, there's a bit of almost fatigue or, or concern around whether or not they're going to be able to, to find a, a space in the market.
1: It's hard to have a general rule, right? Because we've seen whether you, what you want to call them territorial SPODs or multi-territorial SPODs. but we've seen kind of new entrants into the marketplace. We've seen some of those companies fail and, and disappear as quickly as they arrive. And we've also seen some have a lot of success. Um, and I think of Nent and the Nordics, I think of Stan in Australia, and they really built great vibrant businesses. Um, and obviously some of them might have bigger ambitions in just their, their territories, but, um, but it's exciting because it obviously creates opportunity for us. And I think the way we think about that market is, you know, obviously Netflix had a phenomenal you know, first mover advantage and built a, a very robust business uh, as the digital marketplace was continuing to grow. But if you look at the total number of viewers, right, who are moving or spending more of their um, content consumption time in digital, that number increases annually. So that tells you that the market is increasing and getting larger and larger. And as the market, the audience market gets larger, then you have an opportunity for more entrants to come in and get a piece of that market. And so even if they give some uh, entrants and some SVOD channels or AVOD channels that are launching, even just now, rather than two or three years ago, I think if their businesses are designed the right way, they can have an opportunity for a lot of success. And the key is, right, like any business, is how do those entrants offer the, you know, offer the market, offer their customers something new? And you know, how are they serving a purpose uh, in the territory that they're operating in? And if they can kind of crack that, and I think there are a lot of opportunities to do that, you know, then they're better positioned for success. Um, what we know is that it's an incredibly challenging business. It requires a tremendous amount of capital, And, you know, working as a direct-to-consumer business is so different than a traditional linear business. When you think about um, customer acquisition metrics, marketing, customer service, all the engagement you have to manage, managing churn, figuring out your, you know, uh, not just your programming, but um, your brand positioning and being able to build on top of that. So it's a really ambitious undertaking, but obviously, you know, we hope that market continues to grow and we hope there's more and more new entrants coming into it.
0: And is it one that you're finding you're having more activity in terms of finished programming sales or original commissions
1: for us we're going to be launching our first original production um, with i guess you would call it a um, a streamer that's been in the marketplace they've actually been in the marketplace for a while but they're not we don't you know they're not one of the big three to leave it at that and so i think that's a really exciting opportunity for us and i think um i think we're going to see more and more in that i think we're seeing on both fronts you know i think the new entrants or the the mid-level SIV players, if we want to call them that, um, are getting more and more ambitious. They you know, they're seeing their businesses grow, and and one thing that we did see through the pandemic was almost every subscriber-driven business that I talked to saw an increase in their numbers, especially the digital channels, and SIV channels. So um, that puts more uh, you know more capital in their budgets, puts more money in their budgets, allows them to invest more, allows them to try to grow quicker, and that's certainly creates an opportunity for companies like Dynamic. And at the same time, when we have finished content. You know, they, they need that as well. So it's, it, I think we benefit on both sides of that. One of the things that you really learn about the sci-fi horror audience is just how loyal that audience is. So a lot of times, you know, when we see a show perform or, or you know rate or whatever the initial audience uh, metrics it, 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 that show, uh, the pilot might have, You're going to see a little bit of a drop off and then you're going to see almost a straight line to the end of that show. And we see that over and over again. And it's really one of the um, I guess it's it's one of the joys of working in the sci fi horror audience. They're loyal, they're passionate, they love to talk about their shows and and celebrate. You know, we see, you know, Comic-Con is the best manifestation of that passion. So, um, yeah, it's a great it's a fun genre to be a part of.
0: And with Netflix showing such an interest in the genre, that's going to encourage other players to get involved. So how competitive is the the environment around established IP? So I'm thinking things like comic books and um or even horror films that were made a few decades ago that are kind of ripe for a revamp. How how competitive is that is that environment now?
1: Well, listen, the competition for IP in general has never been more fierce. So whether it's graphic novels, whether it's books, whether it's newspaper articles. But there are a lot of opportunities as well. You know, Van Helsing was a reimagination of a public domain character and it worked very well five seasons on sci-fi. Um, we have a we're doing the exact same formula on a show that's now in development with sci-fi as well, which we hope will be equally successful. So there is a lot of competition for IP, but it's not the only path to getting um, certainly our sci-fi horror programming into development and hopefully produced. Um, But if you do have it, you know, the great thing about shows like Dave the Dead and Creepshow is that they're brands that audiences recognize, and uh, they cut through some of the noise, and those audiences, those brands have a great following, and so when we do have uh, some IP that an audience um, cherishes, it it tends to really boost performance of the shows, at least gets them off to a, a good start, and then I said, we see that audience stay really loyal well with the programs.
0: How are the realities of producing in a pandemic affecting your developments? Like, In one sense, some of the, the most popular horrors and successful horrors have been almost tailor-made to be produced in a pandemic, something like Blair Witch Project. is. So is that playing into your development process?
1: Not yet. Developing shows is, is, is such a hard endeavor in terms of finding stories you're passionate about and, and building those stories with, with writers and creators and You know, we don't want guardrails that are going to be driven by certainly COVID. Um, You know, our guardrails might be driven by the scale of the show and how we can finance that show and who may want to buy that show. I mean, we were affected. We're an independent company. We're affected as, as much as any other certainly independent company is in terms of having to account for the very significant cost. Um, that aren't you know now you have to add into your budgets to get your shows made. You know for large companies and studios, it's less significant. I'm not saying it isn't meaningful, but it certainly is something that they can handle with a little bit more ease. And, and for us, you know, it's 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 harder. So um, you know, where was that money going to come from? And finding ways to make sure that we can deliver, um, get a show into production that has all the necessary and required safety protocols. That obviously we wouldn't do it any other way, but. Uh, but it's a serious expense so it's more it's more solving that kind of math, you know, that economic question rather than creatively being impacted by
0: it and is it something like just doing fewer episodes than you you would have done previously is that is that the main way you're you're going to approach it
1: in some instances you know we have a couple of shows which are going to be maybe one or two episodes lighter than previous seasons and I think those were shows that might have already been in development or might have you know, might have been shows that were about to go into production. You know, and, and might have a schedule they have to hit, right? So there's a lot of different things that were impacting maybe why those shows decided to drop an episode or consolidate. But I think on our, as we look at kind of our slate going forward, I don't think we're going to have to compromise on the number of episodes because we're going to be building our shows in an environment we're now accustomed to, whereas in 2020, everybody was taken by surprise, obviously. And and therefore, you're you're adjusting on the fly a little bit and dealing with the economics you already have established, rather than trying to build new economic plans.
0: And you had a a really successful relationship um, with the Icelandic show uh, Trapped, which was really popular in places like the UK. How are you tracking the market for non-English language content? And and what are you doing in in that area at the moment?
1: Well, we are, as you know, we're very active in non-English language content. Um, trap was a phenomenal success for us, not just in the UK, but throughout Europe and really throughout the world. Um, I wish we could do a show like Trap every year, but when you, you know, when you have the success of Trap and your clients have that success, and then they come back to you and they say, Hey, we're interested in more of those, you know, it's something that we, we really leaned into from the start. You know, it's really been part of our DNA at dynamic from day one. So, um, Trend shift, right? Trap is a very serialized crime show and um, Somerdahl Murders, which is our most recent Danish language show, uh, is a lighter crime procedural. Um, and so it's a different genre, but it's been uh, successful as well. A show we're very proud of. And um, and we're going to continue to lead, lean into the um, non-English language program. And I think what we are seeing in Europe is the talent level just continues to get better and better. We see broadcasters that are really committed to. Uh, telling the stories of, of you know artists and creators in their in their countries. And it's something we want to really help facilitate and continue to do more of.
0: And that's another area that Netflix is really, really keen on. So is it is it a positive to be working in the same areas that Netflix is, or is it a really big challenge? Because obviously they're so big. Do they just squeeze out independent players?
1: I don't know if there's an option working in an area that Netflix is not already in. So if there is, you should let me know. Um, but listen, before there was Netflix, there were studios and, and studios had the same type of clout and the same type of impact on the market. We've never seen ourselves as a company that's going to compete with a studio in the same way we don't see ourselves as a company that competes with Netflix. That is certainly not the, what the business needs from us. Um, but we are certainly here to complement the things that they may not do, um, whether that might be, you know, Delivering a show creatively that they're not interested in making themselves. That maybe they would like to acquire from us, uh, or it could be a show that um, our broadcasters want. It could be a show. Uh, it could be a, an economic or financial model that makes more sense on an independent scale than it would for a large studio or a company like Netflix. So we've always seen ourselves as a company that can complement studios and larger platforms um, and work with them at the same time. Um, but if we were trying to find a little corner of the business we can have to ourselves, that's to be really tough.
0: And how are you adapting to the lack of international markets and the virtual editions of events? You know, we've got MIP TV coming up. How are you? How are you approaching those kinds of events now that they're? You know, this time last year it was all the shock of the new, whereas now it's fairly established. Now what those things are going to look like.
1: You know, I mean, Zoom has been a big help. Obviously, being able to see people and talk to people and in some ways, in an odd odd way, just being based in LA, you know, I see a lot of my clients and friends, you know, more now than I did pre-COVID, just because we're doing this more on Zoom and less on a, on, less on, a, on, on phones. Um, you know, but that said, nothing can replace the market for me, right? I think um, it's not just about, you know, the opportunity to see a lot of people in a short period of time. It's just um, spending time with people in person, being able to have conversations that um, you know are, are not just around the content you're selling—they're just a little bit more personal in nature. You know, it's a very much a relationship-driven business. I miss a lot of my friends in the industry that I haven't seen in a long time, and you know, we're hoping MIPCOM is, is a market where many of us can be together again. It won't be for MIP, but um, you know, we're—I'm looking forward to that, and I can't wait to be back in and in uh, the presence with the people that we do business with, and a lot of these people I call my friends. So um, you know, Zoom can't replace that. We're certainly hoping, and we'll do everything that we can that will be on that plane. And, and and what that really means is that we'll, you know, MIPCOM will be an event that we all want to be. We all want to participate in. Um, you know, getting on a plane is something we could do next month. But getting on a plane to participate in an event, I hope the conditions are such where we all want to do that. I'm pretty confident it will be. I know there's a lot of different opinions on it. There's a lot of
0: different noise, but um, I'm pretty hopeful we'll all be in time. Dan March. With offices in London, LA, New York, Paris, Berlin, and most recently Milan, Pulse Films CEO and founder Thomas Bensky is setting his sights on expanding the Vice Media-backed production and talent management company's footprint further. Looking beyond Hollywood, the push into non-English language content comes as Gangs of London, Pulse's acclaimed action drama produced in association with Sister for Sky Studios, gets set to shoot its second season this year with AMC in the US on board as a co-producer. I spoke to Thomas about where Pulse Films is looking to set up next and what opening a new office actually looks like in a pandemic.
2: The idea of being global is very much in the DNA of Pulse. Like, I'm not... British or American. So even though we started a company in London, I think we I and we always saw the world as, 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 as one market with a lot of different submarkets to a certain extent. And so for me, in the last few years, I felt a real opportunity for us to, to, to look away from potentially Hollywood and so on as, as the only destination for ambitious content, ambitious talent, and so on. So, you know, from the beginning we started to expand internationally. So first from the UK into the US and then into Europe. Um and 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 really the confidence has just grown for us to push further and further into that. And I think the reason Pulse is particularly well positioned for this is, is I think we can be a really exciting platform for talent from different places around the world to really be exposed to the global marketplace, either by expanding the idea, warehousing an idea, or just kind of celebrating storytelling from those places, but maybe delivering it with with that global ambition. So to us, this is an enormous part of our strategy moving forward. Audiences are clearly embracing the, the story from more exotic or just different cultures, languages, locations, and so on. And I always say like, you know, the tricky bit with, let's say, Hollywood is is, is a lot of those ideas have been told in those settings. Whereas if you take some of the kind of, you know, key storylines that that, that we keep exploring, you put them in a more exotic setting like Manila or Lagos or Milan or whatever, the same story that might feel familiar in the U.S. suddenly rises up and, and delivers something else to an audience. So I think it's more about responding to the connectivity that the world has right now and as storytellers, I think we're responding to that opportunity and and the market is responding to that opportunity too. So I guess we're just gearing ourselves to be able to to really deliver on that promise.
0: And what does opening an office look like in a pandemic? Uh, have you have you made hires? have you actually physically opened a space you know when at a time when a lot of offices are closed? The answer to that question is yes, we have offices. The craziest thing more is
2: I've never been to it. So who knows what they're doing there. On a serious note, in a way, we've tried to continue to forge ahead and, and adapt during these challenging times. And 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 the physical office becomes less of a center point, is more the people and the activity that you have in it. So for us in Italy, we, we started last year and 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 I've been kind of having amazing success and momentum by, by actually being quite respectful of the way the local market works. So we kind of, you know, empowered one of our original shareholders, a guy called Giorgio Testi, who's a director from Italy, got behind him and he kind of assembled an amazing team um, around him to, 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 to produce content. And Pulse has a, has a advantage in the sense that because of our diverse business model where we do both short form, nonfiction and scripted, we can decide which of those touch points we press on to begin with to kind of create momentum in that that region or that territory. So that's what we did and started to produce commercial content, documentaries, music-based content, things that were very attractive locally because Pulse had a lot of reputation around it, right? So if we work in music, the fact that, you know, we were talking to Italian artists, but also kind of representing the, the company that did Beastie Boy Spike Jones, which is obviously one of the biggest moments in music documentaries, was just an easy way for us to, to 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 really rise to the top pretty quickly and and have quite incredible conversation and and projects actually as we set up and and scripted is different because the the length of time is longer but you know the idea was to to enter the territory specifically Italy with the idea of starting with some of the short form work and factual work and building towards our scripted output. And that's very much what's going on. We have a couple of, of, of exciting scripted projects that are going to hit the market very soon. So it's there is a bit of a logic and a strategy on how we're entering it marketplace as opposed to just building overhead and, and, and hoping that the market would follow.
0: And so you mentioned London, Paris, Berlin, New York, LA, and Milan. Any other mm-hmm. cities kind of on the horizon?
2: Yeah, I hope so. Look, I'm I'm really excited to see what's going on in Africa. I'm very excited to see what's going on in Latin America. I'm very excited to see what's going on in 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 the APAC region and I, I you know, before pandemic, I've always made a point of really traveling and trying to understand not only the market but also does Pulse have something to add there and there are certain places where we might not be very attractive and others like Italy, which might not be on everyone's top priority list, but we felt the the, the, the storytelling culture, I think will embrace the proposition of pulse. I think talent will embrace the proposition of pulse. Buyers will embrace that because of the way the market was organized. So after looking at it quite carefully, we were able to deploy and that's the method we're using on, 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 on analyzing what are the, the priorities for us. And, and, and again, trying to really create a, Respectful ecosystem where the the conversation goes two ways as opposed to feeling like we're colonizing from a media standpoint. It's it's the opposite is we try to open channels to be able to bring amazing stories from specific territories and amazing talent that deserve to work on a global stage. And now we have the distribution means to do that, right? So that's the reason why we 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 we, focusing so much internationally and in reverse. In Hollywood, there is an amazing historical industry that is very well implanted. So what does Pulse have to have, add? We do. We have some value to add, but there's places where we could actually become a very big player very quickly, whereas it, it, in Hollywood, is, it, it, it's obviously a lot more crowded and obeys with, with different rules. It's more expensive and so on. So we just feel like we, we could be a very good proposition for talent
0: and buyers alike. In, in in different territories. Pulse has previously spoken about wanting to elevate young talent and tell fresh stories and shift the conversation and I thought well, one really interesting uh, deal that you did was to secure the TV rights to uh, Laura Dockrill's memoir so that's about her recovery from very severe mental health issues and obviously mental health is a huge conversation that needs to be had at the moment around the world, given, given the strains that the pandemic is putting people under. So tell me a bit about your plans for, for that piece of IP.
2: When the book came out, it just resonated so clearly and it just felt so sharp. And there was such a subversion of a, of a very accessible topic. I think she was able to go to very difficult places, but retain a sense of humanity and wit, and that's exactly what we look for. When we look at, a, at, at getting behind a piece of talent.
0: And what kind of things are you doing to ensure that Pulse Films is a, a, an open and inclusive place to bring in new writers?
2: We, like the, the whole industry, know that we are at a moment in time where we can all do a lot more. And I think a lot of it is about learning and pushing to, to try and move the needle more. and And so it's not just about writers. I think we're trying to look at it completely holistically, both as a business and as an industry, and trying to make sure that we play our role in the most meaningful and impactful manner. And so, for instance, for us, there are, you know, gangs of London to me and TV as a whole, for me, becomes a very exciting vehicle for this because having longer running shows, having things that span multiple years mean that you cannot only be ambitious about, you know, fulfilling those, 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 ideas and desires that we have organically, which we've always had, like, you know, Pulse has always been, you know, trying to to to, to live in a place um, of, of inclusivity and so on. We were built with a lot of those values and so on. So we we didn't feel reactive to this, but instead it, it, it was another testimony that we, we, we must do more as an industry and so on. And for us, we recognize diversity, not just in terms of race, but in terms of gender, and, and 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 what we want to use is is, is very pragmatic ways of, of 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 moving the needle. And so one of our big initiatives is to not only look at our, us as a company, but you look at some of our projects as real vehicles and examples. So gangs, for instance, which is multi-series, very diverse in its cast and so on. How can we help mitigate some of the the, the either the assumptions or the realities that that that, that we are facing when trying to to, to to move the needle when it comes to diversity. And having multi-season is so important because you can deal with mid-career problems by training people up, maybe not on a season basis, but over multiple seasons. So you could start um, building those things up. You could um, create um, incentives and clarity around the way we hire, the way we populate our Cast and crew and so on. So again, if you have something longer range, I think the impact and the example you can set is more meaningful on a movie. For instance, much harder because it's a bit more of a concentrated, very rigid process. Whereas TV, you have the space and the range to be able to 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 to, to
0: attack big subjects. And we talked a lot about scripted. Uh, but Pulse, obviously, is very active in unscripted. What were some of the learnings from so the disappearance of Madeleine McCann documentary that you did for Netflix, which um, yeah. did come under for some criticism after it launched for, for, certain, uh, for various reasons? I think one of the things people said when that launched was that you wouldn't be able to have done that show for a broadcaster. Certain parts of it wouldn't have got past regulatory bodies. But obviously, Netflix doesn't come uh, under those remits. So, yeah, what were some of the learnings after that?
2: I think I think what you learn is 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 in the medium of documentary where your outcome is not necessarily controlled. One has to put so much duty of care in both how you approach the subject, how you approach the production, and so on. And 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 I guess finding the buyer that allows you to 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 stay in the right side of the argument and in a way there is there is pros and cons to both in a way like sometimes compliance and, and and regulation can be limiting because effectively what you're trying to do is to tell a story a story that hopefully has has um uh, you know resonance rather than necessarily trying to to you know true crime solving crimes if that makes sense and 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 there's a fine balance there so i guess it's it's it's, it's it was humbling in many ways but it's also very very rewarding to see how much Audience reaction it had and and actually kind of reignited I guess one of the the, the most important cases of a missing person in in the UK if not Europe so I think it's it's a very layered and complex argument there and um, I'm not sh- with hindsight yes there would be things that one could look at but but in the moment you're also trying to be as humanly respectful and 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 correct and factually precise while also telling a story that that hopefully we we, we know will engage an audience in the most real way possible
0: paul says a, a really interesting background in uh, the live music space and working with uh, musicians you mentioned the the beastie boys documentary earlier as well obviously gigs can't happen at the moment in lots of parts of the world and i think there's a real craving for that feeling of being at a live event, how, how is Pulse kind of, is Pulse looking to kind of explore new ways of, of bringing that to audiences?
2: Yeah, very much so, actually. This has been one of the amazing areas where, 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 you know, we've done a lot of experimenting, you know, very early on. Our friends, our Drift kind of got us involved in, in shooting, Um I guess virtual shows where, where we will be able to have ticketed events for Laura Marling, Nal Moran, and so on, and 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 done Andrea Bocelli to name a few, and, and 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 did amazing kind of trying to be innovative in how to try and recreate that communal experience and so on, and using again our skills and the skills of our directors and talent and partners to really try and innovate in the space of, 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 of live music. So we were actually really busy shooting virtual shows last year and this year and continuing to do so. And I think, look, you know, sometimes it's one of the silver lining is, is new pockets in the industry open up at a time where others are challenged. And of course, you know, the thing we, we all miss is the ability of that communal social experience. But it's interesting to see how film is a medium that can hopefully try and create some of that you know some of those experiences and so on and 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 the results were fantastic actually there were some beautiful moving touching performances and 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 filmic approaches and the audiences were there you know the 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 ticket sales were amazing and so on so it was encouraging to see that we all as a human race wanted to 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 continue to do it and and again you see how by 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 exploring the medium you create innovation and innovation not just in in execution but also in results
0: and i suppose that's not something that's that's going to go away after the pandemic there's always going to be gigs that some people can't go to so there's always going to be that demand potentially to attend a gig virtually if possible artists
2: can't tour everywhere and and they have fans everywhere so how do you create that and i think this was maybe the you know the acceleration because it's not new the concept of, of of Virtual shows and so on was around for a while, but I think this just accelerated and forced to to to, to really um, look at that medium as a real option and opportunity. And I think you know the results have proven that yes, you can create those. You know, we can we can create those those cultural moments um, and so on. But I hope we can we can get to 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 experience and and shoot and
0: and then tell stories in live environments as well. Thomas Bensky. That's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online, on mobile and on social media. Thanks for listening.